0: Sudden cardiac death is the leading cause of medical death in athletes, with an estimated incidence of 1 in 50,000 to 1 in 80,000 athletes per year. Though rare, when they tragically occur, they are often subject to intense media reporting and reflection. A clinical review on the BMJ.com looks at the causes and prevention of sudden cardiac death in athletes. I'm Lader, clinical reviews editor, and I'm joined now by one of the authors of the review, Professor Chris Samsarian. Hello, Chris.
1: Hi, Joy.
0: Hi, thanks so much for joining us. Um, Chris, to start with, um, let's start with um, some definitions. Now, given there's a range of training and participation and competition levels, um, how do you define an athlete in this context?
1: Yeah, Navjoy, very broadly speaking, uh, when we talk about an athlete, it's really somebody who participates in you know, an organised team or an ind- individual sport. That requires you know regular competition there's often a points table involved they want to win there's a high emphasis on sort of excellence and achievement and so you know your your weekend soccer tournaments your weekend um, basketball competitions where you want to win are the sorts of places where we would define an athlete so it's quite a broad definition
0: okay and why is it that sudden cardiac death is the main cause of death within this population
1: Yeah so most of the studies that have been performed over the years have looked at why young people die suddenly and really they can be broadly defined as causes which involve genetic causes you know faults in genes that people are born with that can lead to a heart condition or acquired causes. Um, So of those genetic causes which are the most common causes of sudden death in athletes It's things like structural problems of the heart, like hypertrophic cardiomyopathy, as well as rhythm problems of the heart, um, such as long QT syndrome and Brigada syndrome and other conditions of that nature. Um, Of the acquired causes, you know, most commonly things like viral infections that can affect the heart muscle, and that can lead to rhythm problems leading to sudden death. So, you know, we've learned a lot over the last few years about the cause of why an apparently fit and healthy young person can die suddenly on the sporting arena. And it's these genetic heart diseases which play a prominent role.
0: Um, So Chris, if a genetic um, cause is detected, what should happen next?
1: Well, the first step of course, is to manage the patient in front of you that you've diagnosed the condition. But absolutely essential is the screening of other family members and initially the first degree relatives, the parents, the brothers and sisters, and if there are any children, because almost all of these genetic heart conditions are inherited in an autosomal dominant fashion, which means there is a one in two chance of passing the gene on from generation to generation. So by finding the disease in one person in the family, you may actually end up finding the disease in other members of the family, and you can therefore initiate early treatment and prevention strategies.
0: Okay, Um, and often, you know we know that athletes undergo rigorous training regimes and we sometimes hear about the athlete's heart and how it might differ from that of a non-athlete. Um, what effect does training have on the heart and how does that sort of interplay with those kind of perhaps genetic predisposition, predispositions or, or other causes?
1: Yeah that's a really really tough area and that is trying to work out if somebody has an athlete's heart which is really you know, a physiological thickening of the heart muscle because the person's training as an athlete, as opposed to one of the nasty conditions which can lead to sudden death, such as hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. So as a clinician, the biggest challenges we have as a cardiologist is trying to separate out if a young person actually has thickening of the heart, which is physiological and normal, like an athlete's heart, or whether they have one of these conditions that can lead to sudden death, most prominently, hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. So, we do know in these elite athletes you can get changes in the heart. You can get changes where the heart thickens, pumps harder. And we believe the pure athlete's heart is actually a good thing and just represents a very highly trained athlete. It's when too much training can lead to changes which are much more significant in the heart that can sometimes lead to rhythm problems of the heart and triggering sudden death events
0: and these um, these calls are difficult not only because it's difficult to sort of determine to separate that out but also the the impact that a decision might have on on an athlete's future kind of competitive career you know you you may you may be saying that they can't participate in that sport anymore is that right
1: it's absolutely two ends of the spectrum because if they have an athlete's heart they can go go for gold at the next olympics they can go to the English Premier League, they can play at the highest level. But at the same time, if they have the other issue, which is a pathological genetic heart condition, the recommendation universally, whether you're in the UK, US, or Australia, is that they have to be prevented from playing competitive sports because of the risk of sudden death. So it's a major decision. Often they, these are teenagers who are on the brink of a career. And you have to make this decision whether it's an athlete's heart or whether it's a a more life-threatening condition. One can play, one has to be restricted from sports.
0: These events, when they occur, they're devastating. I mean, I remember, um, I think it was about 10... Ten or eleven years ago, when the Cameroonian footballer Mark Vivian Foe died during an international match, Um, and there have certainly been many other high-profile cases since, and it was awful. And um, you know, it leads to this kind of intense media discussion, and that conversation quickly turns to strategies for, for, for prevention. You kind of think, why is you know how can this happen, and what can we do to prevent it? And one of the approaches that's been Um, very widely discussed, is um, pre-participation screening, where athletes undergo some form of assessment before taking part in their sport. Chris, I know there's some debate about the benefits and harms of this approach. Um, Can you tell us about this?
1: Yeah, sure. I mean, I think every meeting, international meeting I attend, there is always a debate about this issue, Whether, firstly, whether athletes should be screened, And I think everyone agrees now that athletes at some level should have pre-participation screening. Whether you're on the European side or the American side, I think everyone agrees that they should have some form of pre-participation screening. I think that's clear. What's unclear or is the major controversy is what does pre-participation screening mean? For the Europeans, for example, the history and the physical examination uh standard as it is in the u.s guidelines the difference arises whether you do an ecg an electrocardiogram in as part of that pre-participation screening and that's where the world is i think divided the American american side of things believe that you should not have an ecg unless there's something specific in the history that concerns you whereas in europe particularly countries like italy everyone gets an ecg as part of the screening program The issue about the ECG is, of course, it can be very helpful because it can identify early changes that can lead to some of these genetic heart conditions or or represent some of these genetic heart conditions like hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. The big problem is that these genetic heart diseases, while potentially fatal, are very, very rare and sudden death is even rarer. And so you're potentially going to pick up many abnormalities on the ECG, which we would consider false positives. But however, these people will need to have further investigation and may even be disqualified from sports because the ECG is not quite right. And that's the big debate.
0: Okay. And what, what sort of additional information do we need before we can sort of gain some consensus on this? Are, are there are the studies ongoing or...? Or do you think this will be something that will be contentious?
1: I think this will be contentious for quite a while, but I think there was a major step forward recently uh, with the development of, some people may have heard of the Seattle criteria for ECGs, which was only in the last couple of years, with the goal to have more, I guess, more stringent or more um, uh, accurate ECG assessment in athletes. And that by would enable you to reduce the false positive rates of pickup on these ECGs. So by defining what a normal ECG for an athlete is, we might be able to reduce that false positive rate and therefore provide an opportunity to incorporate the ECG as part of the screening um, process. I'm unaware of current studies on a big population basis that are going on. But there are certainly studies in individual countries that have been published which are very, you know, um, I wouldn't say controversial, but contradictory in many ways, some coming in favour of ECGs and some not so. So I think the debate's going to rage on a little bit more. Um, But I think the bigger picture is, you know, sudden death in athletes is an absolute tragedy, as you said. Um, And when somebody like Mark Vivian Foe dies suddenly on a soccer field or a football field, the reason why there's media attention is that people can't believe that a young, fit, healthy, elite athlete who's held in the highest esteem in our community can possibly have a heart condition that kills him on the field. And so while it's a major event, it is a rare event. And you know, I spend my whole life trying to prevent sudden death in families and individuals. But there is a cost benefit ratio that you have to consider. How many people you have to screen to save one life? How many dollars need to be spent to save one life? And so that's where the issue becomes quite complicated because these are rare events and you need a lot of screening to pick up these conditions and these rare events.
0: Okay, well, we'll continue to kind of follow that debate closely and see if these criteria do do you help um, guide, guide clinicians and athletes further. Um, Now, whether you're a cardiologist or a sports doctor or a general practitioner, you may come across individual athletes who come to see you either before participating or with symptoms. And there's some role there for prevention at an individual level um, as well. What are the important things to cover in history or examination or any red flags to note when you're when you're seeing these people?
1: Yes, I mean, it's interesting how we have all this new technology, but really a good history from the patient and a good examination can give you a lot of information. And particularly in the history, while many athletes will be asymptomatic and have no symptoms, some will have exercise-related symptoms. It might be syncope, it might be presyncope, it might be some exertional chest pain in fact be nothing, but uh, certainly red flags that may need further investigation. I I mean, I, I cannot stress as much as I possibly can the importance of family history, taking the time to get a family history. Have there been any young people in the family who have died suddenly, let's say, under the age of 40 years? Have there been young people in the family who have developed heart conditions at a young age? Have there been young people, or you know, unexplained deaths in the family? Maybe some SIDS deaths. I mean, SIDS is a very generic term for a death under the age of one, but could be an underlying heart condition. So all those historical aspects of the family are very important. And then we move on to the the physical examination, and of course, you know, things like hearing murmurs might trigger further investigation. Uh, you know, In some of the dilated cardiomyopathies, there might be a displaced apex beat. And of course, feeling the pulse and looking at the rhythm may also shed some light. So history and physical examination are really the foundation of medicine and indeed the foundation of trying to understand whether any of these athletes have an underlying condition.
0: And at what point would you go on to investigate further? Would it be if, if the history and examination raised some concern somewhere?
1: Yeah, I'm I'm a fairly conservative and cautious person. And I think if there is any hint of any issue in terms of the heart, whether it's, you know, presyncopal episodes with exercise or a suspicious family history, the next step for me would be to do an ECG to look for any abnormalities. Um, and then it's this point onwards where... I think if there's any suspicion at all, it's a general physician or a general practitioner, I think early referral to a specialist cardiologist is a good idea because they often have more experience and can undertake some of the more detailed examinations in addition to the ECG, such as the echocardiogram or ultrasound, as well as exercise testing, and halter monitoring, etc. Now, I would think that of the majority of athletes that you assess with the physical examination and the history will only be a small proportion that will actually have uh, an indication for further investigation.
0: Okay, okay. Um, and then just finding, finally moving on to a kind of another strand of prevention, again, at a more population level. Um, Many countries have public health campaigns on um, cardiopulmonary pul- resuscitation, and there's increasing visibility of defibrillators in public spaces. Um, how important are these steps within this context of sudden cardiac death in athletes?
1: Yeah, I, I think in any setting, um, you know, of prevention of sudden death, you've touched on the two absolutely most important public health measures: cardiopulmonary resuscitation training. In my humble opinion, it should be done by every individual in a in a country or in a community. It's such a simple thing to learn how to do CPR. It probably takes you half an hour to learn, and it's such an essential part of that bystander first response when somebody has a cardiac arrest, whether it's an athlete or whether it's somebody in the community. So that's absolutely essential. Uh, the second is the uh, availability of public access defibrillators. And I'm not sure about other countries in the world, but in Australia, what we say is that if the safest place, the most likely place we will survive a cardiac arrest is actually at the Melbourne Cricket Ground because the Melbourne Cricket Ground that holds 100,000 people has literally hundreds of implantable uh, of, uh, um, uh, public access defibrillators. And so that's probably the safest place anywhere to have a cardiac arrest of any description at any age. So public access defibrillators at all sporting clubs, at sporting grounds, places where people congregate like shopping centres, airports, schools, etc. I think they're really no-brainers in terms of trying to prevent sudden death in the community with an emphasis on athletes, but also the general picture of saving lives at all ages.
0: Great. Um, And on that note, Chris, thanks so much for talking to us. Um, We really appreciate it. Um, And that clinical review is now available on the bmj.com.